This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor at the Information Security Media Group. We're talking today with Kate Borton, President of the Marblehead Group, a healthcare data security consulting firm. Thanks for talking with us today, Kate. My pleasure. A recent HIMSS survey showed most hospitals spend less than 3% of their total IT budget on data security. Do you think hospitals will be spending more on data security in the years ahead as they automate more clinical information? And how big a percentage of their IT budget should be devoted to security, do you think? Well, I do think that hospitals will be spending more on security as we move ahead. But um, I don't see it directly linked to uh, the automation specifically. Um, And I see uh, this is I think going to be a theme of our conversation today, it isn't about the technology. I know there's a big focus on that with the the EHR certification and so on. And certainly the technology plays a a very critical role in enabling privacy and security. But in fact, when it comes down to it, the bigger concern that I have, and obviously the government has, is that organizations, um, it's how they use the technology and how their processes are, the administrative aspects as well as the the technical. So I think that there are a lot of uh, drivers here, uh, convergence of regulations at the state and federal level for privacy and security protections that will, uh, and stronger enforcement that will cause uh, a, a ramping up. I think it will be inevitable. As to how big a percent, that is hard for me to say. I, I'm disappointed to see it being 3%, um, whether it should be 5 or what um, it, it is a tougher question. That same survey found that only about half of hospitals have a full-time chief information security officer. Should all hospitals or hospitals above a certain bed size have someone in that full-time position? Frankly, in my experience with healthcare providers and hospitals across the country, I'm even surprised that it's as much as as a half with a full-time chief information security officer. Uh, An awful lot of organizations that I work with do not even have one person full-time on security. Furthermore, having actually been in the position of managing information security in a hospital and a cluster of of, uh, hospitals, one FTE alone isn't enough. I think that healthcare organizations are still behind, uh, sort of the, the leadership are still behind when it comes to understanding the full scope and depth of an information security program and what it entails. There is an awful lot that has to be done to, uh, to really be able to stand up and say, we have a formal information security program, and you're welcome to come in and, and look at it. So um, I, I think the, the staffing is is a big issue. About 55% of those surveys said that they conduct a risk analysis on an annual basis or more frequently. Should all hospitals be conducting such an, such an analysis annually? Well, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I, first of all, find that... Um, and a surprisingly positive response. Again, I don't think that uh, if if you truly surveyed, uh, you know, if every hospital participated in a survey across the country, I doubt that the answer would be 55%. 
I know very, very few hospitals that actually do a, a risk assessment, a risk analysis more often than annually, and quite a few do not even do it annually. In fact, many, many organizations out there will say, we did one when we knew the security rule was coming along, you know, so they did it in 2005, let's say, and have not done it since then. So I think that um, this, again, gets back to that point that there's a lot of focus on the technology right now because of the EHR and the certification and the money that's involved, the incentive payments. But the technology alone does not make a program. So you've got to be doing these administrative things as well, including risk assessment. And I think uh, all hospitals absolutely should be conducting one annually. In the same survey, only half of the hospitals said their organization has a plan in place for responding to threats or incidents of a security breach. Should all hospitals that lack such a plan be working on one right now, especially given the new federal data security breach notification requirements? Well, could I say anything other than absolutely? Uh, you know, in fact, technically, the, the breach notification uh, regulations went into effect in the fall, uh, we knew they were coming. They became effective, actually, uh, I think it was in, in September. And the government is just being a little bit gentle, saying, well, we're not going to go out of our way to enforce it um, until February. But, uh, you know, the fact is that's that's now law, federal regulation. Uh, the In fact, way back almost a year ago in February, the High Tech Act itself has an extraordinary amount of detail in it in terms of uh, the breach notification response, um, how much time you have, the content of the notice, whether it's delivered in first-class mail or whether you have to reach out and contact media outlets and so on. So I think people have had almost a year to uh, to get ready for this. So that, to me, is very disconcerting, especially because organizations may not be doing a risk assessment, for example, but the public doesn't see that. Unless there's an audit, the government, the public, you know, no one outside your the walls of the facility is likely to know about that. But if there's a breach and you aren't notifying people properly, uh, thoroughly, uh, in a timely manner, etc., um, then that has a much more visible component, and I think it's much more likely to, to, to bring down some level of law enforcement. Uh, and in fact, uh, there was just the notice uh, yesterday, I believe, about the Connecticut Attorney General charging uh, HealthNet of Connecticut, uh, not because of their breach, but because of their... Um, inadequate breach notification, as I understand it. So I think that uh, breach notification is, is very critical, and it should be part of, um, it should be a subset of an incident response plan. What other steps should hospitals be taking now, if they haven't already, to comply with the new data breach notification rule? Some organizations kind of throw up their hands and say, well, you know, we don't, we haven't suffered one, so what do we know? You know, what do we do? Well, there are a lot of things that you can do to prepare for any kind of incident, and uh, it's it's not the same as, but it's kind of similar to preparing for a computer system disaster. 
to sit around the table and and imagine scenarios and how you would respond and what are the um, key decisions that you might be likely to have to make and what can you do to prepare to make it easier when you're on the spot, making sure that the decision makers are identified, that there's a chain of command uh, already defined so that it isn't chaos, making sure that you have at least a, a template for the notification letter that goes out, even if you, you can't fill in the details in advance. And in fact, that letter actually... Um, fairly standard requirements, what happened, what are we doing about it, what can you do, and so on. Under the breach notification rule, organizations that encrypt patient data don't have to report breaches because the data is assumed to be secure. Um, should, should all hospitals, as a result, uh, encrypt all stored data as well as data that they transmit to others? Well, it's been a common wisdom in the security world as well as uh, among Internet experts that uh, you can use the Internet and wireless and PDAs and so on safely if you encrypt and authenticate. So my recommendation for years has been encrypt all confidential information, not just PHI, but any confidential information that your organization handles. Encrypt it in transmission over the Internet and over wireless networks because neither of those do you or can you control totally, and at rest on portable devices and portable media. So anything that could easily walk out of the facility from laptop down to a smartphone, USB drives, and so on, um, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't or don't have to encrypt data at rest in an internal database, but it is not standard practice. It's, it certainly has costs associated with it in terms of real costs and, and performance and so on. So the, the conventional wisdom for a number of years now has been encrypt over the Internet, over wireless, and on all portable devices and portable media. On December 30th, new proposed standards for certifying electronic health records were unveiled as part of the broader uh, federal EHR incentive payment program. The certification criteria require EHRs offer some sort of access control mechanism, but it doesn't specify a standard for that. What kinds of access control mechanisms do you think these vendors and their clients should be using? Well, I always recommend that um, privacy and security officers or leaders in the hospital arena read these regulations, and sometimes they are quite long, uh, but it's very valuable to read the preamble. That's where the people who created the rule explain what they mean. So the rule by itself is often um, very difficult to interpret, but here's the interpretation. So in the preamble, they say that they have not been very specific or, or uh prescriptive about access control mechanisms because there are a variety of approaches and because this is an area where I think it's um, very dynamic. There are a lot of solutions now and potential solutions. It's a very it's a it's a very shifting market right now, and so they've they've stayed away from saying do it this way. And I think that is exactly right. I think there can be solutions that creative vendors or developers could have um, put in place even in the past. I think the EHR incentives certainly give 
give everybody the, the leverage and the incentive to do it now. But uh, I, I don't think uh, – I think the, the rule writers were right not to specify anything there. The federal government on December 30th also issued another proposed rule for on meaningful use criteria describing in great detail how hospitals and physicians can qualify for incentive payments for using electronic health records. The proposal states that to qualify for Stage 1, the first round of the incentive payments, uh, organizations need to, quote, conduct or review a security risk analysis of certified EHR technology. What's your interpretation of that sentence? Well, again, um, I don't have to interpret it. The the rule or the um, notice of proposed rulemaking preamble explains very clearly why that is there, and I think again, it's it's uh, it, it ties in exactly with what I was saying earlier in our conversation. Uh, they explain that the technology alone is not enough. For example, quote, meaningful use seeks to ensure that those capabilities are utilized. And it goes on, the technology, you know, it's one thing to describe what the technology must be capable of doing, but it's different, it's something else additional for the customer of the hospital or the facility that purchases the equipment to A, implement it appropriately, but also it's all the surrounding um security controls. So the original HIPAA security rule talks about administrative, physical, and technical controls. And it's well understood that if you only focus on technical controls, you will not have a secure environment. You cannot claim that you have an information security program. So if you look back at the security rule, risk assessment is only one requirement, and it is important, and we did talk about that earlier. You can infer from this that they're also saying, and by the way, go back and reread the HIPAA security rule and understand or read NIST documents and be sure you understand what's involved in an information security program. You cannot just set it up and walk away from it. There are all sorts of administrative processes, and again, that risk analysis is just one, that have to be um, occurring in the environment. Under the High Tech Act, federal enforcement of the HIPAA security rule will be ramped up with uh, tougher penalties for violations. Also, as you mentioned a little bit ago, states' attorneys general now can bring a civil action in federal court for violations of health care security and privacy rules. On January 13th, the Attorney General of Connecticut brought such a lawsuit against uh, an insurance company, HealthNet, for a case involving the loss of a computer disk drive. Do you think we'll see more suits like this in the months to come? Government moves slowly, but I think that with the Recovery Act and the High Tech Act uh, of almost a year ago, uh, it, it was definitely a sea change in many ways for HIPAA privacy and security or patient privacy and security in terms of the the, the attitude and, and tone that the Congress set for enforcement and penalties. Uh, too many years have gone by where these rules have simply not been enforced. Even Health and Human Services' own Office of the Inspector General wrote a very harshly worded report criticizing uh, the agency itself for lax enforcement. And Congress uh, was definitely aware of that and picked up on that and requires by federal law in the High Tech Act that 
Health and Human Services is required to conduct audits. It's required to audit not only covered entities, but the business associates as well. And the penalties have been ramped up by Congress uh, very, very significantly, this, the civil penalties for noncompliance. So uh, they are uh, very serious about that. And I think it's also by making state attorneys general also able to uh, enforce these regulations, I think, is a powerful, powerful tool. And I'm actually glad to see Connecticut getting involved. Different states are going to jump on board in, in, in their own time. But when it comes to a patient actually complaining about a possible privacy breach, a security breach, they're less likely to be aware of, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I think it brings it uh, down to a much more local level. I think many people uh, have until now been reluctant to actually contact a federal agency about what they may feel might be a, a privacy breach. When it's your own state attorney general, and um, who knows, you might even know someone who works in the state government or even in the attorney general's office or lives in your own community. It's much more local, much more, um, much less intimidating and much more approachable. And I think that we will see many more complaints and in different degrees in different states, we are going to see the states uh, taking a role in enforcement. And so until now, small offices, small doctors and dentists and small pharmacies and so on, I think felt pretty comfortable that they were just not going to get to be on the radar screen of the federal government. And I think that is just not going to be the case going forward. So I'm not sure we're going to see it in a, in a huge rush, but I think that this is the beginning of, of a quite different enforcement um, uh, time in this country in terms of privacy and security for patients. So what are the implications of that? Uh, do you think that could lead to more organizations making data security more of a priority? Oh, I sure hope that's the implication. I sure hope that's the outcome. Um, I, I would, uh, I, I seriously do believe that uh, many hospitals and, and other uh, caregivers have not um, been willfully negligent, as the law says, but have just not made this enough of a priority, have not invested enough in privacy and security to understand what's really involved in an information security program. So I keep coming back to that same theme. Uh, uh, it's been a number of years now. The, the original proposed security rule came out in 1998. And even then, there was nothing earth-shattering in it. And here we are more than 10 years later, 12 years later, and we're still struggling. So I think that the enforcement and the penalties will, will give us, give the industry a bit of a little kick in the butt. But, uh, I, I do sincerely hope and, and believe that organizations are going to say, uh, I guess I better look at this again and, uh, make a, a greater effort to really take this seriously, really integrate this into our culture, really staff this more appropriately. So I do think that um, that, that that will be the outcome. Thanks very much, Kate. We've been talking with security consultant Kate Borton of the Marblehead Group. This is Howard Anderson of the Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening. <laughs>